0: This is the EWN Podcast Network.
1: You're listening to Dialogue with Dr. D, a podcast that inspires and empowers you to reinvent your past and revolutionize your future. Overcome adversity, fear, and feelings of failure as each episode is filled with inspirational experiences featuring professionals who can assist in your efforts. Together, we can help you find joy in your journey while positioning you towards success. Dr. D is a wonder work of personal growth and success moving beyond overwhelming and insurmountable odds to become a global speaker, life coach, and author. Dr. D uses her incredible passion and captivating personal experience to support your move beyond trials, tribulations, and adversities to emotional emancipation. You don't have to do it alone. Join Dr. D today. Move beyond what's been holding you back. And become the new empowered you.
2: When we think of hope and about holding on to hope, it can mean different things for different individuals. One may see hope as a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen, while others may see it as a desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. To have hope is to want an outcome that makes your life better in some way. It not only can help make a tough or unbelievable situation more bearable, but also can improve our lives because envisioning a better future motivates you to take the steps to make it happen. It is important for us to have hope in our lives, to look positively into our future and to be acutely aware of the major protective factor in helping us tackle potentially dangerous situations. Hope is also important because it reduces feelings of helplessness, it increases happiness, It reduces stress, and it can improve our quality of life. Hope ties into a desire for something to happen, a wish for things to change for the better, or for a particular dream or aspiration. Some positive aspects of hope include mental well-being and benefits to your physical body. It helps with your immune system as it reduces stress levels. It increases self-worth, self-belief, and your confidence. It encourages you to take positive action and it reduces sadness and anxiety. Hope is inspiring and it gives us the strength to overcome. Hope puts you in a positive frame of mind and outlook. It gives you inner peace, and tranquility. Hope, like a vision, allows you to see what does not yet exist. When you choose to keep hope alive in your life, you literally put your life in a positive space. This means you will react and handle your circumstances in a certain way and not allow things to control how you will respond p welcome to the dialogue. Thank you for tuning in and a special welcome to our new relatives joining us from around the world. Our focus today is, guess what? Hope. When you have an apply hope, you can tackle every situation presented to you. So sit back, relax and get ready to hear from our hope expert. Joining us today is Ms. Leslie Morgan Steiner, who will share why hope is always good from a career, family, and spirituality perspective. Ms. Steiner is a New York Times bestselling author with four nonfiction books to her credit. They are The Naked Proof, Crazy Love, The Baby Chase, and Mommy Wars. She is a columnist for the Washington Post, a women's empowerment expert, a successful corporate executive, and a domestic violence survivor. She holds a BA in English and an MBA in marketing and has numerous accomplishments. When I say numerous, PFAM, numerous accomplishments. Appearances on TV and radio shows, and guest speaking on many platforms. Welcome Ms. Steiner. Thank you so much for having me. We are excited for you to join us today and to bring us information on this topic called hope. Now with all of your accolades and all that you've accomplished, please tell us what is the meaning of hope for you?
3: So hope, even though it's such a short word, four letters, and in some ways a concept that everybody on the surface understands, it's a really powerful concept to me. It has been for my entire life. Hope is not what it appears to be on the surface, because I think that there is a quality to hope that is very grounded and very gritty. And sometimes it has a little tinge of desperation to it. And I could talk to you, and I will talk today about the ways that hope has really driven me and inspired me in my career, in my education, in escaping a terrible domestic violence situation as a mother. But I'll start with a story. The first time that hope became one of my, my lifelines, I grew up in an alcoholic home and it was a wonderful home filled with Love and books and animals and sports and a lot of laughter. But we also had this really dark situation going on that my mother was an alcoholic and she drank every day. And she transformed from the most important person in my life, the person who, you know, made everything right to a very unstable and viciously cruel person every day. She transformed every day and it was very difficult as a child. And I remember when I was a teenager and I started realizing that she had a disease, a disease called alcoholism, that it wasn't her fault. And I went to one of my most trusted high school teachers, who was also the father of my best friend. And I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stop hoping that my mother will stop drinking. I'm going to stop hoping I'm going to give up. And I'll never forget, he took my hands and he looked into my eyes and he said, No, Leslie, hope is always good. You have to go home and you have to keep hoping. And I never forgot him saying that. It was really profoundly true that I couldn't stop hoping. I couldn't stop loving my mother. I couldn't stop praying that she would have the insight and the strength to tackle this really difficult problem in her life that was affecting all of us. But the thing that I think is dangerous about hope is that it can sometimes blind you to reality. And what I had to do at that very early age in my life was to keep hoping that my mother would somehow tackle her alcoholism. At the same time, it was equally important to recognize how devastating a problem this was, how dangerous it was for us as a family and for myself and my siblings and my father and my mother, that it was killing her physically and emotionally and spiritually. And I couldn't sort of put a very Pollyanna gloss over this problem. So I think that that is the interesting thing about hope is that you can't rely just on hope to see you through. You also have to recognize that reality is your friend and that denial of reality is very dangerous. My mother never stopped drinking and I eventually was able to make peace with it and let go of the fact that I couldn't control her and that I could still really love her. And to find this balance between the optimism of hope and the reality that I am just one human being and there are a lot of things I can't control and once I got to that stage my mother and I had a much more peaceful relationship and when she got sick with cancer in her 70s she came to live with me and my children and that's where she died we cared for her my siblings and I cared for her my children and I cared for her in a really peaceful wonderful way even though My hopeful dreams for my adolescence had never come true. She had never stopped drinking. So I hope that that story shows how complex hope is and how important it is. But you need other building blocks of your faith as well.
2: That is an amazing story. How do you think that just the impact of living in that type of environment shaped your life?
3: Well, in a complex and arguably negative way one of the first life lessons i learned was that it was very important to be perfect on the outside mm-hmm. and to present an outside veneer to the world that we were a really happy family that my mother was you know this beautiful radcliffe ad- educated leader of our family and of our community she was the president of the pta she ran a charity, a very important charity in our community that had started as a home for unwed mothers, and she helped transition it to a daycare center. That we had to keep that up. Once our front door closed, that reality that she was often falling down drunk, throwing things at us, screaming at us, and really being emotionally and psychologically very cruel to us children, you know, we were defenseless. And that I had to hide that. What it taught me from an early age is that love and pain go together and that families are really complicated. And I think that that set me up for my abusive first marriage because that's a lot what domestic violence is about. It's about pretending to the outside world that everything's fine at home mm-hmm. and that love means protecting somebody who's hurting you and that it is a betrayal to ask your outside community for help. So I had to unlearn all those lessons to survive a domestic violence marriage and to escape it. So that's the hard part about growing up in an alcoholic home. But I have to tell you the truth that I would not trade my mother for any other mother on the planet, even given all of her flaws. She was my biggest supporter. She was brilliant and wise. And she taught me from an early age that I could do anything that I wanted to. She was a devout feminist, although she would never have called herself such. You know, she was born in the thirties and she didn't consider herself a feminist, but every day of my life, I understood that I was as good as any boy on the planet. In fact, I was probably a little bit better than any boy on the planet. And that was a wonderful thing to grow up with. And she also had a really irreverent attitude about femininity. She just, she did what she wanted. And (laughs) She's a really, really beautiful, classy, elegant woman who sometimes smoked a pipe, a corncob pipe. She loved to uh, go out in the middle of the winter and roll in the snow naked. You know, she was a little crazy. And that was a great example as as a mom. So I think that also taught me this lesson that you don't get to pick and choose in life you know, in terms of your career, in terms of yourself, in terms of the people you love, that you have to take life on life's terms and take the really challenging parts with the really beautiful parts. And it doesn't mean that you have to stay in a dangerous or untenable situation. I did divorce my abusive first husband. And I'm the only reason I'm here today is that I did that. He would have killed me otherwise. So you can leave dangerous situations. You can, you know, Hang on to hope to get out of situations. Um, But there are also times where you just have to say, well, this is reality and it's my choice to accept it as it is. So when you grew
2: up, and I mean, this is very powerful and to see your outcome, but growing up, it's like you were suffering in silence to the outside world because no one was aware of what you were aware of. Do you think that just hoping, keeping hope near and dear to your heart really helped you to accomplish so much and have this illustrious career and and life that you have?
3: I think that hope did help me. It was a lifeline. Even though I loved my family so much, I grew up every day committed to the fact that I was not going to grow up to be an active alcoholic. I wasn't gonna have self-destruction in my life the way that I saw my mother having it. And that I was going to achieve everything she thought I could achieve, but improve a little bit on her model and not have so many of the negative things. I also have to say that I was helped tremendously by the people in my life. From a very early age, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, I had amazing teachers. I went to a public elementary school in Washington, D.C., and I had some of the finest teachers you could ever imagine. My mother arranged for me to go to a very interesting camp in, in nearby Pennsylvania when I was a teenager. That was, It was a fully functioning farm, and I loved animals, and I loved working really hard. I was a very hard worker. And there was no staff at the camp. We kids and the people running the farm did everything we made all our own food we baled hay we you know harvested tomatoes we cleaned our own toilets you know we did everything ourselves and the people running that camp which was called Longacre Farm they believed in me so much so i had a, this community of adults that who saw me and saw who i was and saw how strong i was and how vulnerable i was and they helped me and also i accepted their help i clung to their help like another lifeline and I think that that's something important to recognize among any children anywhere. Being a kid is, is really difficult. You're a tiny person physically. You don't have much freedom. You can't buy your own food or cook your own food or even keep yourself safe. And I think that we forget a lot how vulnerable children are. And I believe that it is really powerful as adults whether you're a teacher, a coach, a camp counselor, a relative, a neighbor, anybody who encounters children to really encourage them and to see inside them and and make it your business to make them feel good about themselves, because that was invaluable to me. And I'm grateful to every single adult in my life who helped me and who didn't take advantage of my vulnerability, but helped me to be stronger and to get through that And to encourage me, and to really, in some ways, what they were doing was passing on their own hope and saying, you're going to make it, you're going to be fine. This is not going to ruin your life. You know, life is hard. You're going to make it out of this. And you have so many advantages and so much privilege. The adults in my life passed on their own version of hope. And I'm very grateful for that.
2: That's powerful, all in one, because as a child, no one really knows what you're going through because they're not living it with you but they can surmise by our actions. And as you said, your vulnerability, they can surmise what's really happening and that you need something to hold on to. So that's powerful. Let's move into your career and hope. What impact did hope have on this beautiful and amazing
3: career that you've had? I think it all starts with my mom and the fact that she believed in me so much. I had very hopeful ambitions for myself and I backed it up, fortunately, with a lot of hard work. I just, I naturally am somebody who likes to work hard and I loved school and I loved my teachers and I was very eager to please them. And I loved books. I loved, I love math. I I just, I, I loved everything that I did in school and I worked really hard in large part because I enjoyed it and liked it. And so I did very well academically, which was fortunate for me. And then I went to Harvard College, which again was very fortunate. But I think that part of hope was, you know, nobody gets into Harvard College. You know, that's what you hear all the time that it's, you know, and it was it was hard when I was applying and it's harder now, but I still applied and I still had some hope that I might get in. And then when I got in, I had hope and faith that I would survive there, and that even though i I was sure I was the least intelligent person on Harvard's campus, I still believed somehow that I had a right to be there and i you know I thought like a lot of people do that I was the mistake that would got into Harvard and that they would figure it out and kick me out. But I still showed up there every day. And then I continued to have this kind of crazy hope and faith in myself. Again, I think backed up by my mother and by the other people who believed in me. And when I was graduating from Harvard, I did a crazy thing, which is I went to Seventeen Magazine in New York and I asked them for a job. And I got it. I got a job there. And I started this wonderful career of studying teenage girls, and then eventually women and writing about women and girls and having that be the central focus of my life. And I loved working at 17. I went on to be a freelance writer and editor, and that's how I paid um, for my tuition at Wharton Business School. That was another great experience. I loved the women who I met at Wharton and they were another kind of example to me. And after Wharton, I went to work for Johnson & Johnson, a great, very pro-female company. And I launched Splenda Brand Sweetener all over the world. And I I think that I was very hopeful. I was also kind of audacious. And being audacious is something that is risky. And I think that audacious women in particular are criticized a lot. And I was criticized a lot in my career as being too bold and too ambitious and too audacious, and every person who called me that was wrong, and and also I think inherently sexist because I think if I had been a man being ambitious, I wouldn't have been called those things. And it just served me really well that I had this this hope that I could I could get these great jobs, I could launch a product like Splenda brand sweetener all over the world, that I could get a really big job at the Washington Post after Johnson & Johnson, I was the general manager of the Washington Post magazine. It was a prestigious magazine that had never made any money. It lost millions of dollars a year. And I went in with my Wharton MBA and said, "You know, this is unacceptable. We're going to make money. And the first year that I was there, I and my team turned it around and we made money for the Washington Post. And we did that every year that I was there. And you could look at that and say, well, that was luck, or it was crazy hope, or it was audaciousness. I'm not really sure. But I think I know that that was a good thing to think that I could do these things that maybe other women hadn't done before other people hadn't done before, that I had faith in myself and the people I worked with, and that we could do it together.
2: Bold and audacious, even though you're criticized, but you did it. And that is, that's just phenomenal. Hope, you had a certain amount of hope to even go to the schools you attended, not having necessarily the financial wherewithal or maybe the grades or everything that the in crowd had, but you did it and you stood on hope. Ms. Steiner, that is great news for all of our family around the world. What you're saying here is it can be done. So can one live without hope?
3: I wouldn't want to. I think that hope, as my teacher told me, hope is always good. I think it's wonderful to dream big. I think you have to back up your dreams with good decisions and hard work and a team behind you, whether it's your family or your friends or your colleagues or teachers. But I think that dreaming big is very important. And you're exactly right. I technically didn't have the grades to get into Harvard College. And I somehow did anyway. I went to Wharton Business School, which is a bastion of Wall Street financial and accounting acumen. And I was an English major and a freelance writer who had worked at women's magazines. And the first accounting test I took at Wharton, I got out of a possible score of 850 points, I got 52 points. And I remember going to the professor and saying, I I can't do this. And him saying to me, Yes, you can. You can do it. You just open up, ask for help, and you can do it. And I think that attitude is really great. And I think, I think especially if you are anybody who's not in the dominant power group in your culture, that you you particularly need hope and audaciousness because you're never going to get there otherwise, because you're going to have so many people telling you in very blunt and unfair and also very subtle and oblique ways that you can't do it, that you can't make it. And I'm here to tell you that you can, and that anybody can. And it is your birthright to dream big and to make your own life what you want it to be. And I, in terms of spirituality, I believe that God wants us to be happy. And that that is a very important part of hope and of faith. And it's up to us to define what our happiness is. And that no one has the right to define that for us. And as long as we're not hurting anybody else, and we are free to live the life that we want to live, and I'm a 57 year old woman. Now I've been married and divorced twice. I've had an amazing career. I have three incredibly spectacular children. And I have lived with a lot of hope much more than I have lived with any societal norms of what I was supposed to do. And it's made all the difference.
2: Now you mentioned an abusive relationship or an abusive marriage earlier. And now you mention having two. What positive impact did hope have on those relationships and you have on you as a result of those relationships?
3: So that's a really good question because I think the answer shows how hope is a double-edged sword. So both of the men who I married, I invested too much hope in them. I believed that each one of them could be my soulmate. And I think somebody looking at it from the outside would have said, Hey, Leslie, that's really quite a risky bet. <laughs> You're relying too much on hope. Because my first husband was, he was such a magnificent person. He was the smartest man I've ever known and deeply kind and gentle. But he had been terribly physically abused, starting as a four-year-old boy, by his stepfather. And I don't mean that his stepfather spanked him. His stepfather broke his arm broke his nose, broke his ribs, um, beat his mother in front of him. And it had damaged Connor in such a way that he was not able to have a healthy relationship with me or maybe with anybody. And I just blew past all those warning signs. And I was so filled with hope for what we could have together because we had a magical connection and we had so much in common and there was so much love between us that I thought we could overcome that. And I was wrong. And I'm lucky that I got out with my life intact and with my hope and my future intact. And I did manage to leave him because I had hope and a commitment to myself that I deserved better, that anybody deserved better, that no one deserved in the name of love or marriage or commitment or the vows that we had taken. No one deserved to have loaded guns held to her head on a daily basis, which is what my life devolved into. So I think that hope got me into the marriage and hope got me out. And then the same thing with my second marriage. It was very different. I married a another wonderful man. He was very different. He was really stable and level-headed. And my second husband would not have hurt a woman or a child if you if you held a loaded gun to his head. But he also was not a good partner for me because we were so very different. You know, I'm all about passion and dreaming and taking risks. And he's about being very sure and steady all the time and never taking a risk and never standing out. And as a result, we were actually very good parents because we together, we have given our children really great models for life. It's sort of like the hybrid of us together. We're great parents, but we weren't good partners. And we never would have made each other happy. And I got very angry that he wasn't meeting my needs. And the anger really pushed him away and killed his love for me, totally understandably. And I'm so grateful that we decided to divorce because I'm much happier now. And he has since remarried a wonderful woman who he's so happy with and who is a great stepmother and who my kids love and who is very good to me and to our family. So I think it just goes to show that, gosh, you know, you can't go by these stereotypes of what marriage is supposed to be and what your life is supposed to be. And that hope for that second marriage, that I could have a stable partner and that I could raise kids with a stable man, that was really great. But then again, yet again, hope and the conviction that I deserved more happiness and that my ex-husband did too, that kind of hope got us out of an unhappy marriage. And we were married for a very long time, for 20 years. And it was hard to end that marriage. It was really painful for everyone. But it was the right thing to do. I'm convinced of that. And hope is that secret ingredient in all of those decisions. Hope in every
2: situation works. In every situation. Thank you for sharing that with us. What else, Ms. Steiner, can you leave with our PFAM as they embark on hope and their commitment to make it a part of their daily lives, their daily existence?
3: So I think that hope is a kind of love and that hope for yourself is self-love. So no matter what you're going through, whether it's illness or economic challenges or frustration, or grief, to just have hope that it is going to get better and that there's a bigger plan here and that on the other side of the pain is spiritual growth. I think that that is great comfort. I also think that having hope for your children is really powerful. I think that self-esteem is one of the, the hardest things to backfill later in life, And that one of our obligations as parents and as sort of custodians of the future generation is to fill children with self-esteem. And that doesn't mean giving them an A-plus on every grade or giving them a trophy every time they step on a soccer field. It really involves being close to them and attached to them and supporting them. And I have always tried really hard to not be negative with my children Because I know my children listen to everything I say. And if you say to a child something negative, your intentions might actually be good. You might be trying to help the child. But if you say something negative to a child, they are literally going to believe it and do it. And I think we have to be very careful in our language and our dreams for our children. And I'll hearken back to my mother that even though... Her life, in some ways, there were some disappointments in her life. She always hoped for better for me. And I think that it's part of being a good parent is that you always hope that your children will have an even better life than you do. And that that's a really important message as we raise children and look to the future. As a part
2: of hoping for them, you're instilling hope as well and making
3: sure that they know the meaning of. Am I correct with that? I agree. I agree totally. I agree totally. Hope is a kind of self-esteem and self-confidence and also maybe faith in the outer world that despite the fact that there are so many challenges in life and there are a lot of really damaged, destructive people out there who will hurt us if we're too close to them, that there are ways, there are ways around it. Hope gives you insights and inspiration that you can find your own solutions and your own shortcuts or ways around obstacles, everyone faces obstacles, but there are always ways around it and to just to never give up on that, to always believe that hope is always good, and that you too can find ways past the challenges that life throws you.
2: Thank you so much we all know that circumstances can change the course of your life. However, if you choose to hope, you can remain in a positive space. As you go about your day, ponder the words of Brian Tracy, who said, hope is what keeps us alive when we have given up. And the words of Reverend Jesse Jackson, who said, keep Hope Alive. Many thanks to our guest, Ms. Leslie Morgensteiner. Thank you, PFAM, for joining the dialogue where you are ensured to be inspired and empowered. Leslie, you have been wonderful today. Thank you so very much.
3: Pleasure to be involved with the PFAM and to have you as my guide in this conversation. I think that candor about what life is really, really like on the inside is really empowering. And that kind of candor and connecting with you and with your audience, it really sustains me and gives me a lot of hope for the rest of my day, for the rest of my week, for the rest of my year. So thank you very, very much.
2: Beautiful and well said. Allow me to leave you Not with one verse today, but two. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, But not only that, we can take pride in our problems because we know that trouble produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. This hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And quickly, Hebrews ten twenty three says, let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering because the one who made the promises is reliable. Ms. Steiner, how can the PFAM find you?
3: Well, fortunately, it's very easy. And I love to connect with audiences and readers. My four books are available anywhere that books are sold, online or in any bookstore. And I also have done two TED Talks on baby making and surrogacy and also on why domestic violence victims stay for so long in abusive relationships. So the way to find me and to find all these materials is to come to my website, which is lesliebooks.com. That's also my social media handle at Leslie books. That's for Instagram and Twitter and for LinkedIn and Facebook. It's just my full name, Leslie Morgan Steiner. And so if you Google me or come to my website, you can find how to buy the books um, and how to continue this conversation. And I look forward to that very much.
2: Thank you once again for joining us, Ms. Steiner. We appreciate all the valuable information and the knowledge you have imparted today. P-Fam, take care
1: and be safe. Thank you for listening to Dialogue with Dr. D. If you enjoyed the show and would like to connect further with Dr. D, visit drdcarroll.com. And please, please don't forget to like, share and leave us a review on iTunes. With Dr. D's guidance and support coupled with your belief and commitment, you can succeed in your moving beyond journey. Join the dialogue today and tap into the new, empowered you. Best wishes for peace, love, and continued blessings. And we'll see you here next time on Dialogue with Dr. D. Remember, transformation and reinvention is yours.